Welcome to Forge Comics. Your one-stop shop for discovering more about comic book characters, stories, and general analysis of these epic tales. So join us on this journey across mediums and multiverses to learn more about the amazing world of comics. I'm Trey. This is Jojo. And I'm Petey. All right, welcome back, guys. We're excited for this episode of Forge Comics. We've got a special guest speaker this week as we do our special Pride Month episode. And our special guest speaker is Nicholas, who is a, an avid comic book fan. He's active with the Out in Tech group, has also spoken at an LGBTQ tech conference, and works with other LGBTQ nonprofit affiliations. A little bit of background, his favorite Superheroes are Iron Man, followed by Loki and Iceman, and uh, that's actually been his favorite heroes for a long time, so he's pretty happy with the recent changes made to those characters, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that here shortly. Nick, you want to introduce yourself, say anything else? Everybody, thanks for, uh, thanks for having me on the podcast. Excited to join now we've, we've been excited to, to get you on here, um, and before we kind of get in into this interview, we should also mention that Jojo is not going to be with us here today. Um, his scheduling had some conflicts, so uh, he will be here in spirit. And since he does all the editing and everything and um, posts everything, he is still heavily involved in this episode. Um, we're excited to get started. The purpose of today is to basically just be able to have a conversation kind of about the LGBTQ plus community. Um, but Trey and I didn't feel completely qualified to have this type of conversation because obviously both of us being straight, we can't exactly contribute that much to the conversation without having somebody here from the community. Awesome. So we'll get started. We've got a series of questions for him and he's got a, a bunch of great points to share with us. So Pete, why don't you kick us off? Yeah. So first question I've got is basically just what do you look for personally when they're trying to represent specifically for you, uh, the gay community and pop culture or comics? Yeah, I think um, I can be looking for a lot of different things. Uh, I think one of my favorite things about the community is how unique everyone is. So um, while obviously I think um, mentioning that they're gay and owning that authentically in the character's story and background is important. I also think that we can show a wide diversity of characters even, even within that. So I think my concern is more so with them being three-dimensional characters and having their own character arcs versus um, with kind of um, female representation, there's this trope of the manic pixie dream girl, which is a character that is often used in rom-coms to um, basically serve as this quirky fun girl that only really helps the main male character come to his own kind of conclusions and, um, to kind of solve his own story. So she really doesn't have kind of her own her own character arc. And I think that happens with, with a lot of LGBTQ characters in media as well. They're a supporting character and not a main character kind of with, with their own priorities. Um, and then the other thing I would say is um, there's also a great parallel with, uh, with female representation as well with the Bechdel test, which uh, I believe has three uh, different rules associated with it. One is that there must be, um, well, they're kind of all together. Of There must be two named female characters that talk to each other about something other than a man. So a fairly low bar to kind of qualify a movie as, you know, adequate 
gender representation. I think the LGBTQ community may not be expecting that because um, you know the proportions are a little bit different than women in our uh, in our society. But I think it's important to, I guess, harken back to the fact that they need to kind of have their own identity, their own plot, their own priority, rather than just supporting a straight character on kind of their way to accomplish their missions. That totally makes sense. Yeah. And I think there's even, if we take that even a little bit further with, with female representation, I think there's, is that called um, the fridging effect where they actually kill off the female character to further advance the, the plot of the main character. And it's funny, like a self-aware movie like Deadpool did like that exact thing they literally killed off Vanessa in the first scene. So, so that's definitely um, probably not going to scratch the itch for anyone on either side of the bar. That's, that's a pretty, like you said, a pretty low bar for, for representation. Yeah. I think there's a huge concern about expendability of characters when they're kind of representing one of these minority communities um, or marginalized communities like women, like people of color, like LGBTQ people, since they're not treated as the main character, it's easier to have them get killed off. And I think that can sometimes do more harm than just not having had them in the first place. Interesting. That's an interesting point. I wonder if they, I wonder if they're getting that feedback from their uh, test groups. Well, so, you know, there's the idea that these characters are becoming more common in pop culture and, and it may not be progressing fast enough, but I think we can all agree that there is uh, improvement coming um, which approach do you prefer between these two options? One, there's the having previously straight characters be retconned to be gay, like, like Iceman, for example. And we've talked about that before off the podcast or creating new original characters who are LGBTQ. And as a kind of a, a consequence of being a new character, it may take them some time to get off the ground. Wh- which option do you prefer? And, or, and, and obviously you don't speak for the whole community, but what's your, what are your feelings as far as, as that goes? It might be a bit of a cop-out, but I think you need both, to be honest. I think a character like Iceman has a following um, and a cultural impact that would take so long for a brand new character to mirror. I believe Iceman's been around in the 60s, and I actually think he first came out in the 90s and then was put back in the closet and only recently came out again. And they're, I think, officially following through with that now, uh, even though he was portrayed as as straight with a girlfriend in the X-Men movies. I think, so I don't know if that's, you know, an exemplary um, piece of representation, but I think having a character like Iceman uh, kind of jumpstart LGBTQ representation in the MCU or or wherever else is really important. And I think it needs to be paralleled with new characters uh, that have the potential to provide representation in a more authentic, a little less complicated way. Uh, that won't land as an afterthought, as I think retconning, retconning can also do. Um, but they also need to make sure that those new characters are getting the same opportunities for the spotlight as those existing characters are. For example, I think maybe let's not remake Superman again in three years and <laughs> give someone else the spotlight briefly. Uh, I think we've done the same thing with with Batman and a number of others, where we kind of keep retelling the same stories. And... While I'm obviously invested in having LGBTQ representation, I think a lot of it also comes down to just the variety of stories we're telling uh, in these movies and these comic books. I think we can portray a lot more diverse of experiences in general than, than we currently are. 
I think I think you'd really enjoy this the Patreon exclusive podcast we have coming up where we talked about the most overhyped and overexposed characters. And we actually took and counted the number of on-screen appearances and comic book appearances. And basically what, like what you're saying, we keep telling the same stories over and over. And that is frustrating. Are, are, are kind of as a the conclusion of this question, are you familiar with the term legacy character? Vaguely it's when they kind of have the same superhero name, but it's a bunch of different versions of that character. Like, like a successor. Yeah. yeah. So something that is happening a little bit now, um, different characters are taking up mantles of other characters. Like, for example, um, a new Robin or something like that. There is one good example of this in the comics. There is a kind of a legacy character to the Hulk who is gay. So what do you think? Like, is that a prior? Should that be a priority for this LGBT inclusion? Should like, would you like or prefer that a, a legacy character to a well-known, either a Superman or something like that, some future iteration was a part of that community? Yeah, I I still kind of stand by the all of the above type of answer, but I think that um, that the Falcon storyline kind of taking up the Captain America mantle is a great way to merge kind of a new character uh, with an existing audience and and legacy. So I'm I think that's great. I saw the news that they were going to launch um, a, a gay Captain America and. I'm looking forward to, to that one definitely. Um, I think that could that could be an exciting way to kind of have best of both worlds. Um, yeah. Off of that, I, we've talked a little about some of your favorite characters. Who are some of your favorite examples of LGBTQ plus characters in comics and then just in general pop culture? Yeah, so uh, I'm more familiar with kind of the movies and the comic books. And so there has not been a lot of representation for me, I guess, to get excited about. Um, within kind of the MCU or, or the DC Cinematic Universe either. Um, I would say I am really excited about Loki. He has been one of my favorite characters for a while. And so I'm excited to see where they take, take that in the new show, um, him coming out as bisexual. Um, as far as kind of outside of the um, comic book world, I, I know this is a very different turn, but I do love the representation that Schitt's Creek offered to the world of showing um, gay characters in a very authentic way, in a way where they didn't deny kind of very common things in the LGBTQ experience, like coming out um, and, and some of those challenges, but they also just like let them be happy and be them and have kind of normal relationship issues in what felt like a, a very normal, authentic way. I think a lot of times, LGBTQ characters um, have had so much weight attached to them. And this is even with characters that aren't in, you know, the mainstream media, but in movies intended for a gay audience, uh, they are often about someone who had to kind of sacrifice their marriage or their family in order to come out or end up passing away from AIDS or things like this. The movies that I watched when I was coming out kind of all had <laughs> really unfortunate endings. And so uh, I think it was a lot more meaningful than a lot of people realize when, you know, David and, and Patrick were able to get married on the en at the end and live happily ever after. Spoiler, I, I didn't we finish think. it yet. <laughs> I think you've had more than enough time. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think, I think happy, happy endings are something that uh, I think a lot of people take for granted. Yeah, I think first thing that I think we have to unpack with what you said at the beginning is the fact that the MCU hasn't caught up to the comics is tragic. I, I can't believe that we are 12 years, actually 
we're yeah 12 years into the mcu and we're just now getting somebody who's officially come out uh it's i'm really glad i but i mean we're talking about something that happened last week when iron man first came out uh, the movie came out in 2008 so it's been a a long time coming um and some things have led up to it but i do think it's it's important to kind of analyze other pop culture and understand that the the comic books may be there, but the MCU, the DCEU, they have to kind of catch up with the rest of the world. Um, and we're, hopefully we're going to start seeing that that happen more. Uh, so you can get more examples of kind of the, the happily ever after, like you're talking about in Schitt's Creek. Yeah. And I, I think one thing that's interesting to talk about here is where they're kind of willing to throw a bone, I guess, for lack of a better analogy. Um, I think... Marvel and DC in the comic book world, it sounds like they have kind of taken some steps, but the movies are really where they're putting their money where their mouth is. And that seems to be where they're, they're not necessarily willing to take, take the risk per se. And I think there were a lot of naysayers when they decided to kind of come out with Black Panther as a movie and look at how incredible it did. Um, I think Wonder Woman as well. Uh, they kind of paved the way for that representation. Uh, I mean, obviously there were, there were other versions, um, other representation um, in in movies before, in superhero movies, but uh, they took a bigger gamble with those, and I think it really paid off. And so I'm hoping that they start to realize that, that people are open to these other stories, and the audience wants to see them. Can we jump to, since we are talking about the MCU and the other on-screen stuff, can we jump to uh, this question here? since they are kind of finally making that effort, I wanted to go through some of like the higher profile examples and just, you don't have to go into any more detail than you want to, but just give me like, is this good? Is this bad? Is this adequate? Do you, do you feel like among the, the community that these were well-received? So, so obviously the big one this week was Loki, um, not by chance, I'm sure, this episode dropping in June, um, discussing, albeit briefly, his bisexuality in episode three. Yeah. It was a very short scene. Um, I think just a one sentence line. I can say that because Loki has kind of not really shown any or had any romantic interests uh, in any of the movies prior, to me, it seemed like a natural extension of that, that he did not share a ton of information about those past romances. That felt more or less authentic to the character. I will say that since this is, you know, the first time someone has come out in a Marvel movie, I do want more. Um, it's it's still fairly minimal representation uh, if they don't explore it any further. There are a lot of other superheroes who have love interests, who um, that's a major part of their story. Maybe that isn't authentic to Loki. I definitely get that. But then I also wonder if that's why they picked Loki as, as someone to explore that so that they didn't really have to follow through. So well, I, I'm excited about Loki, um, but I, I do want to see more. I, yeah, I mean, I, I think you may have a point. I do think he is a great character for that option. He's a gender bending, transforming character who literally gives birth to people in, to, to uh, who does he give birth? He gives birth to Hela and Fenrir in the comic or in not only the comics, but in, in Norse mythology. So uh, I do see what you're saying, but I think he was a very good entry point. Now, I, I, just a quick side note, would it have been more impactful had he been given that opportunity to come out on in a movie versus the Disney Plus show? Does that have any bearing or just is it a wash? Um, 
I think that the movies obviously have a much larger viewership, so that may have had some added benefit there. But it also seems organic to me that they're exploring his backstory overall. This is his own show. Uh, and I'm I'm happy with the fact that, that they did it here. I mean, yeah. I liked it, but I'm I don't know what my opinion's worth. So yeah, and one thing one thing off of that too that we've talked about off podcast is the fact that there are some characters who do have have romances. Um, but when Loki's made appearances in the movies, it's usually at a big fight. Either he's the main villain, so he's preoccupied with that, or he's kind of a side character who's assisting Thor to some extent. So I do think it makes sense that they would explore it more in this Disney Plus series because we're seeing that these Disney Plus series are made for finding these characters who are side characters, expanding them out, fleshing them out more, and then that way for the movies we might have we may have more of a tie to them given Loki already had a huge following before this. Uh, one thing that I thought was interesting that Trey and I were talking about off the podcast too that I, I think is worth mentioning. Episode three of Loki compared to the first two was pretty uneventful aside from this. And at first I was thinking, well, this is kind of a this episode was kind of lame. There wasn't that much that happened. But I think that might have been on purpose so that the only talking point that people are really going to be discussing with episode three, is going to be him coming out. And I, I, I wonder if, that's, if that was purposeful or a coincidence on, on the writer's side. Yeah, I, I actually thought that them spending the time to get to know Loki a little bit more and to get to know the variant a little bit more um, was, I, I, it was actually one of my favorite episodes huh, so far. Interesting. Um, him coming out aside. I felt like you did get to know those characters a little bit more. And um, well, I would kind of take the um, uh, trans community or gender non-conforming communities word for it a bit better. I do think that having his gender fluidity displayed in a variant character was a really interesting way to give her her own identity, her own backstory, and flesh out that character a lot more than just him, you know, maybe briefly shape-shifting into a woman, which is how I originally thought they might handle it going into it. Same here. Yeah. I agree. I think one other thing that I wanted to, to tap on that you mentioned, though, was how Loki has historically been a villain. And he has been, uh, you know, morally ambiguous at times. So he's he's flip flopped a bit. But there is um, an important history to discuss, I think, of representing LGBTQ characters purely as villains. I think whenever we talk about representation, it's not just happening in a vacuum. And I think that's sometimes the disconnect when kind of I'm responding to a certain piece of representation and talking about it with, with um, straight peers is that I'm thinking of kind of maybe what it harkens back to rather than just seeing it in a silo. And so, for example, um, with the villain piece of it, there's something called the Hayes Code that existed in Hollywood for a long time that actually restricted what was allowed to be shown on screen. And one of the major pieces of this was sexual deviancy, which uh, homosexuality at that time was included into. And so it was explicitly not allowed to be shown on screen for a, for a very long time. And as that became kind of less formal, one area where they would, where they would kind of explore these characters was if it was grouped in with other kind of like deviant behaviors. And as a podcast, I am doing air quotes around a lot of these things. Um, <laughs> And so what you saw is that people were willing to accept a queer character if they were kind of presented as a villain in other ways, or they were being punished for their action in other ways. 
And so I actually think some really interesting examples of this happen with Disney, where you see kind of queer coded villains like Ursula and Jafar, where they kind of display some stereotypically gay attributes. Uh, and I'm not making this up. You can, you can Google this for sure. Um, but they obviously never confirm their sexuality. But I think, I think there's been this long history of showing LGBT characters as villains or something to be laughed at or something to be feared. And Loki is kind of an extension of that. I'm more willing to accept him as a character, but I do think we still need um, someone who is a more traditional superhero also being gay. Um, otherwise, you know, they're grouping it in with, you know, some moral ambiguity, which, you know, has a pretty loaded history, I think, with the LGBTQ community. With with the MCU still kind of the, the headliner here, <clears throat> we discussed the Eternals. Uh, they've really kept this movie under lock and key, but one of the few things that they have chosen to kind of, let, let's say, market is that there is going to be a gay superhero and his name is Fastos and he's going to be openly gay, married, and they're just going to share an on-screen kiss. What are your expectations for that? I mean, is it, are you worried that they're overhyping it at this point? Because we, proportional to the rest of the marketing, it has been one of the, the more higher profile things or what are, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I think there's a side of this where I, I maybe could project malintent, um, but I am, I'm genuinely excited about it. Uh, I think it, it sounds like representation that will fit in a lot more with how they traditionally represent straight couples uh, in the MCU. So I, I think it'll be, I think it'll be great. Um, I hope that they, that they do explore it again, that he's a three-dimensional character with his own character arc rather than being a supporting character. Um, but I think we'll see. Um, I will say that typically with these announcements, I don't get my hopes up too much because <laughs> they often have not really gone anywhere. And I'm doing that a little bit too. Um, so I, I hope they follow through. I, there is, you know, in the back of my mind always like with, I think in Pride Month in general, you see a lot of rainbows popping up everywhere. And, and while I love that, um, you also do want to make sure that they're still doing kind of the work that's below the surface rather than just putting kind of like a rainbow on their logo. Uh, and I think making sure that they do that with the Eternals is what I'm looking for. I think they absolutely still can, but it'll be something I'm watching out for. Okay, awesome. I've just got, I think I've just got two more uh, examples I wanted to hit on. I know you watched The Boys. Um, thoughts on Queen Maeve as a character and her her representation? Yeah, I loved Queen Maeve as a character. I loved that they explored her being a lesbian, that she had a uh, really complicated re relationship uh, with her partner. Um, the one thing that I, I would call it here is that, um, you know, it's it's still grouping in uh, an LGBTQ character while well represented into a really mature TV show. So I'm not sure what the equivalent is, but it's basically an R-rated TV show. If you've seen it, it's very sexual. It's very gory. And so while I am genuinely in a silo happy about Queen Maeve's representation, I still think we need representation in PG-13 movies and so on, because there has been a long history of um, conflating LGBTQ identities with mature themes or theme themes not suitable for children. And LGBTQ identities are not inherently more mature, are not inherently more sexual. And I think representing them in those other contexts is really important. 
It also makes uh, me think of Deadpool, how they had Negasonic uh, be represented with her girlfriend. And again, I mean, she was a supporting character, so I would have liked to see her be fleshed out a little bit more. But overall, I was I was happy with her representation. It was still obvious to me that they were only willing to take that bet on an R-rated movie with, mm. you know, existing mature themes. To me, that's not uh, the same as when they will show a character in a PG, PG-13 movie or a more mainstream movie um, like Avengers or Spider-Man. Yeah, you're bringing up a point that is honestly, it's something I guess, this is a straight, a straight guy I haven't really thought about too much, which is this idea of the moral ambiguity that media naturally associates with the LGBT community, where you're talking about, first of all, this, this idea just to kind of recap of, oh, it's always a villainous character. And now we're getting the same idea where, okay, we can put it into our shows as long as the audience is mature enough to handle it. And it, it takes me back to this idea that, well, first of all, it's what's more mature about a gay kiss on screen compared to mm-hmm. a heterosexual kiss on screen? Why, why is there this, this concept of, okay, this is a, ma- a mature content. So I, I'm, I'm honestly fascinated by this because this is something I just, I had never really explored or been even aware of. So thank you. I think, I think it makes you question really how secular our society is. I think it's easy to assume that, that it, we are very secular, but there's some very, traditional I, I overly traditional religious values i guess is really the only way to describe that i mean that's societally otherwise you're right otherwise people wouldn't think twice about that kind of thing uh that's a, that's a great point and then then lastly as far as uh relatively high profile characters who are at least rumored to be coming out i think uh one of the ones that I, has gotten the most hype uh, is valkyrie and i i believe this has been confirmed that she's going to either be gay or bisexual in the next movie Thor Love and Thunder and my instinct would be that this is a better representation than even the Eternals because it's a much more mainstream movie but I that's just my opinion what are your thoughts I totally agree I'm really excited to see kind of how they flesh out Valkyrie's character um I was I think I had heard that rumor a while ago and I felt like they had some sexual tension between her and Thor at some point and I got a little bit nervous that they were going to kind of back out of it um I mean, she could be bisexual by all means. Um, I still think that there's a history of them kind of treating those identities as an afterthought. And so I would rather her either explicitly present as bisexual or as a lesbian um, and just, you know, uh, I guess display that with kind of um, a a romance with a woman also. Um, So we'll see. Uh, again, it's, it's something that I, I'm not getting my hopes too high about, but I think it, it could be a really good opportunity to use a character that um, has been explored a little bit, has a bit of a, a following, um, and I think is just a really cool character in general. Yeah, I and I think for her, one of the things I like about it is I do think there's that sexual tension with Thor, but I do think generally in Ragnarok, uh, they do a good job of portraying that. I mean, she doesn't have very, very much sexual tension with any other characters. So I think it's, it's an, one of those natural flows. So again, maybe we're late to the game with the MCU, but I'm, I am excited uh, to see these things start to get fleshed out more. One of the questions that I wanted to ask, um, Jojo actually had a similar question. We kind of combined it together was, what's the impact on these LGBTQ plus characters and these storylines for those who may struggle with coming out or with struggling with their identity? How, how do these stories help them or hinder them to some extent? Yeah, 
I think this is um, this is really important, and it's it's also something that I think is difficult to kind of put words to. But I think that representation does go a long way in in showing people that they can be fully whatever and whoever they want. I think we don't tend to realize how much of our visions for who we are, what we can do, are shaped by what we've seen, either in society or in media, until it's kind of explicitly limiting us. And so, for example, I, I had a hard time visualing, visualizing myself as like a high-powered CEO until Tim Cook, or in politics until Pete Buttigieg. And so, to me, I just kind of, uh, I, I guess, saw them as mutually exclusive with my sexuality. I thought I was going to have to pick one or the other. And so, when I came out, I more or less kind of pushed him to the wayside. Um, and I think, well, while I don't expect myself to become a superhero in this life, I think <laughs> seeing yourself represented in kind of this, in this powerful way, does go a long way for, um, for self-esteem, for confidence, um, and for fleshing out your identity in a way that doesn't kind of put you in a box. Because I think, again, LGBTQ people, I think, have been put in a box for a lot of time, often called the closet, but even after that, where we're expected to kind of fulfill specific stereotypes or something else, rather than being kind of just as diverse of individuals as, as straight people are. And so uh, I think it, I think it will go a really long way. Um, I think that is important to note that representation isn't uh, representation in media or in society isn't, you know, a few big wins. There are those big wins uh, up front, but it's a lot of small wins that have to kind of keep happening over time. Um, so we want to see proportionate LGBTQ representation. And I think some stats are showing that Gen Z, 15% of Gen Z identifies LGBTQ. So theoretically shows targeted to Gen Z should have 15% LGBTQ characters. I don't think we're at that point, um, but that is something that obviously you have to keep following through on. It's not that you can kind of throw one superhero in there and um, have them come out in a brief scene and, and kind of be done with it. Um, it's gonna require them continually writing these characters, continually engaging LGBTQ authors, um, creators, actors, and so on. Follow up with that, um, you mentioned some, obviously people in real life that were impactful for you. Are there any characters that were impactful for you maybe while you were coming out or since then that you felt have kind of helped you with your identity or sexuality? I would say that I really didn't see myself represented for probably the first 20 years of my life. Um, I think the first time I really saw semi-mainstream representation was Modern Family. And I love Martin Family. Um, I love Cam and Mitch. Also, I don't feel super represented by them beyond them being gay. Like, I don't feel like I have that much overlap in personality or anything like that. But I still loved being represented by, you know, gay family. So then I would say once I kind of stopped looking for representation in mainstream culture, the gay community does have a lot of, of movies and, and TV shows that both of you may not have ever heard of, but that I started watching uh, kind of once I came out, you know, got off the family Netflix and uh, <laughs> um, wasn't worried about my algorithm outing me. And so, and within those, I mean, there are a, a lot more characters that I could see myself identifying with. And when it's, um, you know, when it's cast of purely gay characters, it's a lot easier for me to find one that I identify yeah. with. And if, you know, the other five or 10, I, I don't necessarily um, identify with versus right now if you if your sexuality is something important for you to identify with 
Um, in the MCU, I, I actually still can't find that. I identify as gay. Yeah. Um, Loki is bisexual. I feel more represented by that than I do by, you know, Captain America. But, um, but it's still not a character that, you know, I fully identify with. And I think that's going to be a problem for a long time for more marginalized communities than just gay white men. Right. So, I mean, Iceman might eventually be represented in the movie. I think that's a character that I could see myself identifying really well with. But um, I think we still need um, black gay characters. We, we need more um, lesbian characters. Uh, we need more gender non-conforming and trans characters. And I think we're, we're a long way for, for a lot of people to feel represented. Yeah. With, with that being said, when they do cast, because I think it's, so first of all, for historical purposes, Iceman is one of the original five X-Men. So if, when they introduce the X-Men to the Marvel universe, if he's not in, let's say the top five introduced, I would say it would be a travesty there. I would say there's no good reason for that. I mean, he is one of the original characters. So that being said, is it important to the community that he's portrayed or played by a gay actor even if it means taking maybe a lower profile actor. Yeah, I think that this is a really complicated question that you will probably get different answers from, from every person you ask. I'd say that there's a few different things to, to discuss in this context. One is, um, I, I guess lower profile, I think is, is, a, is a fair framing of the highest grossing celebrities are mostly straight men. But there are a lot of incredibly talented gay actors. And so I don't, I don't think you're sacrificing quality by hiring a gay actor. In some ways, I actually think you're preserving quality because they can portray that actor more authentically. I think that I maybe don't feel super strongly about there being a hard line of gay characters have to be represented by gay actors. Um, I was comfortable with the fact that, you know, back to Schitt's Creek, that David was portrayed by someone who identifies as gay and Patrick was portrayed by someone who identified as straight. And I felt that they did a very good job. With that being said, going back to, we kind of can't represent, we can't view representation in a silo. There is a history of discrimination in the film industry where gay actors are typecast into gay characters. And so <clears throat> if they're not able to get straight roles, but straight people then take the gay roles, then the gay actors have an even smaller pool to pull from. So I, that's just my opinion. I, I, I know that there are other people in the LGBTQ community who feel much more strongly about it, but I do think it, it a lot of it for me comes back to, it's not a two-way street, unfortunately. So it's, it's a privilege that a straight actor can kind of step into a gay role and, and be granted that, uh, and people are willing to accept that, but the same kind of favor isn't necessarily granted the other way. Yeah, I think that's a, an interesting point because we do talk a lot about it one way, but not necessarily the other way where, yeah, a straight person can represent a gay character, LGBTQ character, but not the other way around. The other thing I would say is I think a lot of um, gay or LGBTQ actors also want to play LGBTQ actors on screen and they want those roles to be written with LGBTQ characters in mind. So Nick, I just got to say how good it is to have you on the show with us again because this idea of passing privilege is something I've never even heard of before. But now that you mention it, it completely makes sense that there are certain actors that can probably get away with playing more straight roles because 
if they don't explicitly come out and tell us that they're gay or that they're a lesbian, uh, the general audience wouldn't be able to figure it out. I think Matt Bomer is a great example of that. I also want to touch on something else you said that I thought was cool with this idea of LGBTQ actors trying to target those LGBTQ characters. And I can see why they want to do that because I think growing up in the early 90s and the 2000s when it was becoming a little more kosher to have these conversations but still wasn't quite there socially, uh, to have characters that may or may not have had some more flamboyant tendencies without explicitly saying their sexuality. So now that we're to the point where in a lot of mediums and for most age groups, now we talked about that it's not quite there for, for all age groups, but it's becoming generally more accepted to have these types of conversations. And I can see why the LGBTQ community and the actors within it are trying to target these types of roles to bring to light um, more of the character arcs that they can have um, with someone in that community. What? So are, are you familiar with the term headcanon? Mm-mm. So headcanon is where fans or comic book fans specifically will have kind of a a fictional background to a character that may or may not exist, but sometimes they, they gain popularity and they become, you know, whether or not they're actually true or ever seen on panel or on screen, it, it almost becomes a cultural thing. Are there any characters that the LGBT community kind of adopted as being gay or does that make sense? That question makes sense. Like you just assumed like, let's just say Iceman was flamboyant, but not gay. You kind of assumed Iceman's one of you way before he, he ever was actually confirmed. Yeah. I don't know if I've seen that with superheroes in general. Unfortunately, I, most of the superheroes are kind of ultra masculine or ultra feminine. You think of Wonder Woman, you think of kind of quintessential beautiful woman. You think of Captain America, you think of, uh, or sorry, beautiful straight woman. Uh, you think of Captain America, you think of classic alpha male, alpha straight male. Uh, that does happen though, I think with a lot of films and um, TV shows where, you know, it's ambiguous enough that, that people feel like it kind of portrayed the LGBTQ experience. I guess I will take a step back and say, I think that a lot of people feel like X-Men in general kind of portray that experience of you're hiding something from your your family that makes you different. Um, and when, a lot of times when your family finds out, you're kind of outcast and you need to go kind of find your chosen family that accepts you as you are. So I think a lot of people have done that kind of with X-Men as you know more of a sweeping generalization. Um, but that's probably the, the best example I can give. I don't know if I have any specific characters in mind. As a, as a kid, were you an X-Men fan kind of for that reason? Is that? Yeah, I definitely was. I think that's partially where I kind of picked up my um, Iceman as my favorite. Big X-Men fan over there. Always was. Even when it wasn't cool. <laughs> you mentioned earlier, or I guess, I think Pete might've mentioned this, or at least in the notes, how does something like, like, go back to Wonder Woman, how does a moment where she's talking to Steve Trevor on the boat and she's explaining that men are required for procreation, but not necessarily sexual gratification, indicating, you know, it's somewhat tongue in cheek that, you know, on the island, the Amazonian women are, you know, lesbian or, or whatever. Um, 
did how was that was that a big moment for the lgbt community did anyone care was it not enough why how was that received i honestly have, i have no idea uh i don't think that i really took note of that um might be a question for for lesbians um to see if if it resonated with them yeah i think the fact that she is still very obviously heterosexual or, or maybe bisexual but not explicitly um kind of washes that away a little bit that yeah, comment yeah. is probably not enough to stand on its own so something off of one of them that i think we should definitely just talk about for a few minutes is this idea of her portrayal gal Gadot is awesome um but in this headcanon in the general comic book community uh it's pretty much accepted that wonder woman is bisexual um it's been explored in various alternate universes which again has its own stigma to it why aren't they willing to do it in its own continuity uh but even if you go back to her introduction in the 40s 50s 60s there's a lot of mm, insinuation that she's had relationships with other amazonian women so I, I honestly think it's something that makes sense and they should explore it more in modern comics and be willing to accept that as one of them being, I mean, she's the first female character. For her to come out as being bisexual, I think it would be a very impactful decision that uh, media would make. Unfortunately, I, I don't know if WB, being the terrible company they are, <laughs> is actually willing to go that far. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think that would be huge. I also love Gal Gadot. Uh, and I think that people would probably love to be represented by Wonder Woman. Uh, again, that's something that I would want to get, yeah. you know, lesbian women and bisexual women's opinion on. I would say, again, looking just back at the history uh, of, um, or the LGBTQ history in the US, uh, especially when you kind of reference the 40s and the 50s, if you think about who it feels like Wonder Woman was written for at that point in time, um, since she is kind of this beautiful, perfect woman, I think it was written for straight men. If I, I think they've kind of turned her into a bit of a feminist icon, but I don't know that she was that in the 50s. And I, I could absolutely be wrong. They could just be kind of alluding to her, you know, having relationships with other Amazonian women as a way to, again, cater to the sexual fantasies of the straight men in, in the 40s and 50s. That's just spec pure speculation on my part. Um, but I do, again, think that it's just really important to view these things in the broader context. That's I, an interesting that's, point. That's probably more likely than the fact that they were being really progressive, yeah. if we're being honest. Yeah, that's yeah. A great point. <laughs> yeah it is. Well, let me ask you this, since we are on the topic of Wonder Woman. <clears throat> in a recent movie that came out, well, relatively recent, Superman Red Sun, she was uh, depicted as gay, but this is kind of an Elseworlds or an alternate dimension Wonder Woman. That's a pretty mainstream character. They confirmed like she wasn't even interested in Superman. She was officially gay. Is that is that kind of a cop out where it's it's like Pete said, not part of the main continuity or, or what do you think there? You know, I I think it's tough. Um, I think that if they handle the representation really well and really authentically yeah. and, and kind of Again, um, approach in some of the ways that I mentioned before, if she's a three-dimensional character with her own character arc and maybe with her own romance, I think it could be done really well. Yeah. I think yeah. one thing that I also tend to watch out for is there's this totally separate analogy, um, I think from, from Israel, of the fig leaf. It's kind of a biblical analogy of something small that's used to hide your shame um, from Adam and Eve. 
And I think when people criticize representation that is just really small or haphazard, like um, just throwing in the the gay couple in Star Trek for half of a second, yeah, things like that. I think it, it's not that it's it, sure it's it's better than nothing, but I think a lot of times. Uh, other people are praising that more than the LGBTQ community is because it feels a little bit like a fig leaf. It feels like something that they checked off so that they could say that there's representation. And this is what I would say about kind of Disney in general, historically, you know, theoretically there's the, the gay family in Frozen, but it was in such a brief, brief moment that I didn't notice it until I saw it on the internet later. And there have been a few other examples like that where it's ambiguous enough that you could miss it if you wanted to, but they can kind of point to it as a sign of progress for the people who are willing to kind of see it without angering the people who don't. Yeah. And that's, that's an interesting point. Cause I feel like it is very haphazard. Uh, there was a moment in star Wars too, where it was, there was a, a lesbian couple in the back that kisses at one of the reunions or victories that they have. And those types of things to me, it's just, you can tell it's forced. Whereas there are other examples when they can flesh out these characters more and give them, like you're saying, a character arc um, that feels natural. I I always find myself even relating more to those characters because they're having more normal relationships that we can see get fleshed out. Um, I actually, one modern example of Disney that I thought was interesting. Have you seen Luca by chance? I have, yeah. There's some definite insinuations that there and implications between, uh, I don't know if, what's, is it Alberto? His his jealousy towards the other two developing a relationship. And I think, uh, did you kind of get that same feel? I mean, we're talking about Disney, so I'm curious to get your perspective on Wait, it. Wait, I thought that too. I thought Alberto was gay. Yeah. I thought they were going to commit. And that might, I, do you think that's maybe why I didn't go to theaters? Because the, the animators were pissed. Yeah. So I think, I think it's a really interesting thing to, to look into. The director has, I believe, explicitly said that he was not, that they were not intended to be gay. I definitely interpreted that way and I texted my friends all that and to me that's a movie that I am personally claiming the same point (laughs) Disney can't really get credit for it because they're explicitly saying it's not and and I if you look at the movie in a vacuum it's supposed to be a pre-romance movie I think they're prepubescent so it's not going to look you know like a teenage relationship and I think that's fine um I think they did a really good job of it obviously being an emotional connection without sexualizing it at all. And I think especially for, for young boys, I, I think that's perfect. Um, with that being said, you do have to be careful with ambiguity because there have been so many of these kind of teased LGBTQ represent, representations um, that you just have to be careful with it. And the fact that they aren't committing explicitly when asked about it means that they're kind of trying to play to to both interests i guess the people who aren't willing to see that type of thing and the people who are really wanting to see lgbtq representation um and i I think you can only kind of live in that middle ground for so long and i think people are starting to get frustrated with it i would have rather seen them just commit full on even if they weren't planning on it when the when the people started asking about it just fully commit and say yeah it was supposed to be i mean it's prepubescent so i get it but setting the roots for some sort of gay relationship to happen so I, I was just curious that, to get your take on it. Yeah, I think Trey's question of, is that why I didn't go to theaters is also a really valid question. Um, there is 
again, something that was left ambiguous, which I think is almost harder with the legend of Korra, where they are kind of insinuating that she has feelings for her best friend for a long time. The best friend did have a previous relationship with a man, um, but she could definitely be bisexual. And toward the end of it, they uh, the final scene is them looking longingly into each other's eyes. And, you know, I, I wish they would have kissed, but just shy of that, I mean, I think it yeah. more or less confirms that they have a romantic relationship. At the same time, if you look at what happened with that show, uh, I believe that they actually released the last season or two directly to online rather than airing it on TV. And while they didn't explicitly say why, I believe they alluded to adult themes or something like that, which just harkens back to our point earlier of they tend to only be willing to um, show LGBTQ characters in R-rated movies or things that are um, a little bit less mainstream that they can kind of tuck away, uh, I think, if, if they get any backlash, which yeah. isn't, isn't really fair to the LGBTQ community, I don't think. No, so you bringing up Legend of Korra is a really interesting point. Um, for those who haven't listened to me on any other podcast, I'm a huge Avatar fan in general. So Legend of Korra was a great show for me. But what's, to be honest, their relationship did feel pretty forced for me from a straight perspective due to the fact that both of them had been in a previous relationship with the same man. Um, and then throughout the series, they develop a friendship, but they're really, I didn't get the sense that there was a romantic tension between them until probably the last 10 minutes of the last episode. So, and then the last scene is obviously them walking off to the sunset. So again, I think it's a step in the right direction, but I, I would have liked to have seen them develop that more. It's, they fully committed, but it was almost too late in the game for it to really have an impact on me, to be honest. Um, it would have been interesting to see them explore that sooner, but I'm, I'm honestly glad we brought that example up because it's talked about a lot. And I think, I think it likely felt forced, not because they decided to take it in that direction, but because they didn't commit to yeah. um, their relationship when they committed super clearly to the relationship with that they both had with the man prior. Yeah. Um, and so I would almost blame it more on that of like, they wanted uh, to, <laughs> they wanted them both to have yeah. a heterosexual relationship at the beginning. And then they decide, well, actually, this could be a really interesting thing to explore. It just kind of shows that I think it was a second priority for them. And I think that's what LGBTQ people have felt like for a long time yeah. in media, like a lower priority. And so while I was excited about, about that um, with Cora, it, it, was, it was left a little unfulfilling. Um, yeah. And so I think, I think we still, I think the LGBTQ community probably still claims Cora. <laughs> well, and they should, because um, it's pretty apparent. Yeah, but... Um, but at the same time, it's, it's hard to give uh, Nickelodeon really that credit. And there was even um, some uh, some media stirring. Uh, I, was it last year when they tweeted something like Happy Pride Month to um, the LGBT community and their allies? And there was a picture of Cora, SpongeBob, and some character that I wasn't familiar with. And so then the question is, is SpongeBob gay? <laughs> well that's a, that's actually a very interesting one because i did some research and i guess the creator of spongebob passed away very recently but while alive he refused to accept he basically and not refused he basically repeatedly confirmed that spongebob was asexual the show was basically supposed to be romance free and then and then he passed away and nickelodeon was like okay cool he's gone he's gay now <laughs> which yeah. is creates its own problems too i think and to be fair, I mean, a, being asexual is part of the LGBTQ community. And so if that is the intention, um, then that's then that's totally fine. Um, but it comes back to 
ambiguity is problematic for the LGBTQ community. We've been lapped in ambiguity in way too many aspects for way too long. And so if you mean to do something, do it. <clears throat> if SpongeBob is asexual, like, I mean, I guess most <laughs> childhood cartoon characters are probably asexual, but That's still, uh, you're not, it's, it's again, it's a non-committal way to kind of try and throw people a bone without, without setting yourself up, I guess, for any backlash to just throw it in a tweet haphazardly. And so I think a lot of people were kind of frustrated with being teased about it. So one more thing I wanted to say about Luca, sorry, was I, I actually did pick up on that. I thought the relationship between the two friends was very touching. Um, I thought I thought it might be one-sided though, like Alberto towards Luca, but the, until the, maybe the very end when Luca, but I'm not positive. I did. Did you, did you get that vibe that it was maybe one-sided or was that it? Um, a little bit. I was worried that they were going to instead give Luca um, a relationship with, uh, I forgot the, the girl's yeah, name. Whatever her name was. I think that after seeing the end of the movie, I did feel like it was definitely platonic to them. And I, I felt like they held to the significance of Luca and Alberto's relationship. And so that still was meaningful to me. Uh, and I do wish I had had that movie growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I think, I think the, the stress that I felt through that movie of whether or not they were going to follow through on this or not, uh, says a lot of what LGBTQ representation has looked like, um, for the last however long. I, again, if it's a pre-romance show, that's all I expected of Luca and Alberto's relationship. And I'm happy with that. And they are uh, directors and creators are often willing to give, um, you know, prepubescent kids heterosexual romances. Um, and so I would just want them to kind of check, check their biases there as well. Interesting. And I think as they made an interesting point where you said that the director came out and said that they were not intended to be gay, but that you guys have adopted it. That was kind of what I was going for earlier was. I can't speak for the whole LGBTQ oh, no. community, but. But me but and my a, friends definitely have. <laughs> as a prepubescent Italian boy, um, no, I think that's fair. Uh, I, I think that's fair. And I would be curious if you do come up with any others that you realize over time, oh, yeah, that was ambiguous, but we, we you know, we adapt. That's ours now. I'd be curious to hear about it. Uh, any other points you wanted to make or characters you wanted to touch on i think we've we've kind of uh hit our time limit here and we've run through all the questions that we had i believe let me double check and we did have one question we i don't know if we hit on specifically are there any portrayals of lgbt characters that are, are bad whether in the mcu well not the mcu whether in the comic book space pop culture anything you struck out was like that was a miss don't like that I think that there are a lot of these examples over time. I don't necessarily feel the need to call any by name. Um, I think more recently we've gotten better at not using LGBTQ characters as negative stereotypes and things like that. And so the concern has been more with the lack of representation or still kind of using LGBTQ characters for comic relief. But if you look in history, I mean, there are definitely definitely negative examples and there are a lot of movies that haven't aged well um and i hope we kind of are are past those times 
without naming names, but Chuck and Larry are probably two names that we don't like. Yes, that one. I was on at the gym the other day, and I was like, my jaw dropped. I was like, this is the most offensive movie I've watched in a very long time. <laughs> yeah, it, it was, was definitely not one I enjoyed watching as a kid. I was like, and the, the, the end kind of is like, tries to promote a message of accepting, but it was like, yeah, but you had like 90% of the screen time was offensive. So it's like, you almost can't undo that no matter what you say at the end, right? Yeah. Anyway. And I, I mean, I think that's a fairly good metaphor for what LGBTQ representation has, has looked like for a long time. It's hard for, you know, Loki coming out to really undo everything or cancel out everything that has been done to LGBTQ representation in the media, it's going to take a long time. Uh, and I think we're making making progress. I think it is slow progress, but uh, at least there have been, been some wins of late, and I think they're speeding up a bit. Awesome. Well, we really appreciate your time. We thank you so much for your opinions. This was, uh, I think this went even better than we could expect. And there's a, definitely a lot here. So hopefully, uh, hopefully our audience will appreciate it. Cool. Yeah, thank you for having me.